I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Jaden Bales is a Northeast Oregon resident. But he lives in the great state of Wyoming. He works for the Wyoming Wildlife Federation. We interacted with him and honestly, he was pretty much the catalyst of the Wyoming Hunters for the Hungry program that Blood Origins and you, our community, raised tremendous amount of money for that allowed food, meat from wildlife being taken and harvested, being put back into the Wyoming communities. But today's conversation with Jaden is all about preference points and resident versus non-resident contention or consternation of tag allotments. Fascinating conversation, back and forth, up and down, hard-hitting, just as you would expect. Layers. So I'm I'm trying to eat better. This is just some, like, uh, ahi tuna uh, dish. Ahi tuna. You, so you are putting on winter? You're putting on your winter layers for the wintry nonsense that is Wyoming for the next well, four months, five months? Well, I'm trying not to, but it the scale says otherwise. So I'm just trying to eat a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my South African butt would not do very well in four to five months of snow. Sorry. I hear you, ma'am. I love it just because I end up, you know, I, I've ended up working my extracurricular activities around snow. That's about all you can do to, to combat it. Yeah, skiing. I could do that. I could do that. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, anyway, oh, stuff. how's Wyoming today? 
Uh, it's actually like really warm. So <laughs> ironically, uh, it's so terrible. Do, what is it? 80 degrees today? No, like 60. Ah, that's not yeah. warm. That's a beautiful spring day. <laughs> oh man. I, this time of year, I expect it to be somewhere between 20 and 40 degrees and blowing and snowing sideways. So I actually really do appreciate it. Um, except it makes our cow elk hunting a little bit harder. It's harder to find the elk when they're not being like out in the open. Are you still wanting to fill a cow elk tag? Jess's mom has one. Uh, I have a cow elk tag and so is Jess as well. So we're going out this weekend. Um, we'll see what happens. I, I, I think we're just trying to, uh, get one more critter in the freezer. We're, we're looking okay. pretty good, but, um, we don't have an elk yet and elk's our favorite. So. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, we'll, we'll do a little bit of a, in, you know, a sliding into the topic of today using the, what you just, what you just set me up with. Yeah. Um, you are going after three elk, three cow elk. Yes. General unit tag. These are uh, extra tags we've picked up on top of our general tags. Okay. Anyone could have picked those tags up or just yep. residences? No, anyone can apply and pick those up. And those would have been available after the draw, given that they had extra tags left over. These ones were, we picked them up in the draw specifically, but they were third choice. So that means like, you know, I apply for this really coveted tag that I wanted, my bull tag. And then I applied for a second choice one, which was like, you know, something else that was close to home. That was fine. You know, I, I like, I would like it. And this is the third choice, which is like, ah, well, if we get that, we'll spend a little bit of time after it, but not a lot, you know? So this is our third option that we ended up, ended up picking up. But the first two options were bulls. Well, uh, first option was a bull. Second option was a cow closer to home. You gotcha. know what I mean? So I, I always like to try to like get tags where they're easier to spend a lot of time on. Um, if I can mm. hunt it before and after work, man, that's better. But um, tags that are a little further away, but easier to draw. I, I take those too, because I'll spend a couple weekends chasing them. Hmm. Okay. Um, you weren't worried that non-residents were going to scoop up all your tags? No. So the way this tag system works is like all of the the tag allocation is uh, taken care of for residents first. So uh, now different states do it differently. Wyoming, it says 80% of the tags in this case. Uh, actually, no, for elk, it's six, uh, 16% go to non-residents, 84% go to residents. So 84% of these tags were given to residents first. Um so we had, you know, our first through third choices uh, were all just residents get get looked at first, and then it goes to non-residents. So if folks aren't picking them up on the third choice, then that quota gets rolled into extras for non-residents. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So it's very close to 90-10, huh? Uh, yeah, for elk especially. It's, uh, like I said, it's a 16... Well, Oh, come on. I can't. I You're putting me on public math, man. But no, it's... No, it's, it's 84, 84, 16. Yeah. 84, 16. Yeah. For elk. So this idea... Okay, hold on. Before I go diving down, because I've already been smashing the pedal to the metal with conversation. I haven't even bothered to introduce you. So, Jaden, okay. please introduce yourself. 
Oh, thanks, Robbie. Uh, my name is Jaden Bales. I'm the communications director for the Wyoming Wildlife Federation. Uh, I wear a handful of different hats doing some writing for different publications in the hunting space uh, and also do a podcast. So um, like I said, I wear a handful of hats, but my, my main gig is uh, communications director here for the Federation. Still working with Cody on the podcast or you got your own podcast now? Yeah, so Cody and I um, still work together on podcasts. I get on some of his public um, podcasts, his public feed podcasts. That's the Rich Outdoors. Uh, but I'm a Mule Deer fanatic, so I run a Mule Deer Monday podcast uh, for Patreon members with Cody. So that's my that's my Sweet. bread and butter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I uh, little known fact. Well, it's probably not surprising. I've never hunted Mule Deer before. We'll have to change that. <laughs> yep. Never hunted. And and here's the sad thing. A lot of people are like, oh, Robbie, you must be, you know, you run this thing called Blood Origins that fights for hunting rights every single day. I did a little bit of a math exercise, and this is this is easier than public public school math right here. Okay, okay. I've hunted one day and two afternoons this year. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Man, and, and I, I commented on your Instagram post the other day. Um, you know, no one as deserving as you to have that experience you did. Um, Dude, it was, was soul, it was soul quenching. It was okay. like the whole day. Like we chased animals all day. We would close in. Everything would be right. And there would be like a monster trophy or it would be too young. And it's like, oh, okay, let's go find a cull. And we we worked all day until like five fifteen at night, and then finally got it, and it was just magical. And it was Africa. It was even though I was in West Texas, it was the sights, the sounds, the the fire at night, the chilly in the chilly air in the morning, cooking fresh meat right there on the grill, just eating it with limes. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever had fresh tenderloin, salt, pepper, slice it, and then drench it in lime juice. And eat it. That's a good move. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, there's something about just some uh, uh, meat over fire uh, the same day that you killed it. It's just next level experience. Um, I, I don't know how to describe it if someone hasn't done it yet, but just like you're talking about soul quenching, man. That's great. So reason I wanted to have you on here is obviously, you know, I play the whole points game. I did the whole Wyoming thing this year. Mm -hmm. um, I drew a tag in Wyoming, been, been putting in for seven years, didn't go. Been mm -hmm. putting in for Montana for three years, drew that tag, didn't go. So I've lost all my preference points mm -hmm. and now I'm back to freaking square nothing. Okay. Uh, which is fine. I'll, you know, I'll get to hunt one day. Um, so, there's a lot of like contention, consternation. I would say contention, consternation are pretty good terms for this idea of people living in, like you, living in Wyoming, mm -hmm. and people like me not living in Wyoming wanting to hunt Wyoming. Where do you sit in this this whole debate, man? This is a this is really important conversation for us to be having, um, because when you get more information, I think that it makes that position, like actually saying something substantial about it, really tough. Uh, I grew up in Northeast Oregon. We're talking the the high desert side of the state, um, 
and I grew up in a trophy elk unit. Um, so I never ended up hunting elk where I grew up. Right. The reason being, and they have Which a preference. Sucks. Uh, Which it, sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. Let's be honest. It sucks. Um, but the reason, the reason being wasn't because, um, there was a lot of non non-resident interest in this, in hunting in Oregon. There really isn't, um, compared to a lot of States. Right. But as we would say, it was the gosh darn Portlanders from the West side coming out, taking all of our tags. Um, I now have moved away. Obviously, uh, this is my fourth year in Wyoming. And, uh, I gave up on trying to hunt that, that home unit of mine because, uh, they give out one tag to non-residents, uh, and it alternates between a, an outfitter and a general me- member of the public, uh, who's a non-resident every year. Um, so statistically, I just had no chance of ever going hunting this, this unit back home. Right. Um, so one of the things that I've noticed about that though, is like, I shifted gears um, and kind of decided to to take the lemons that life gave me and make lemonade. So I split up my 11 elk points between my dad, my brother and I, and uh, we went and had a blast last week. Well, we actually had 10 days together. Um, We'd never ever hunted bull elk together with rifles. Um, And it was just an incredible experience of time with family um, getting there and chasing elk in some really rugged country and, and having tough conditions. And just, it had, we had a tree fall on our camp, um, while we we're sleeping, it had all of the, uh, elements of adventure that you look for. Right. So I think that I've lost a lot of the, uh, uh, man, I've, I, I was really bent out of shape when I realized, you know, I really couldn't hunt back home, but I think think that just the the fact of the matter is uh we're not owed any hunt um we're just we're just not uh it doesn't matter if you're a resident or a non-resident um the thing but you can see the point you can see the viewpoint of a resident right that and that's why i was like that sucks for you because you're living in mississippi you want to hunt where you like you just said you put in for tags that are closer to you so you can hunt more, right? Yep. And if that chance decreases because someone like me from Mississippi gets a chance to hunt, I I get the sort of consternation. I get the contention. But on the flip side, here's my point of view, mm-hmm. is that I'm bloody lucky to be an American. And these opportunities that are afforded to me in Wyoming, in Mississippi are mine because I'm an American and it doesn't matter where I fucking live. Excuse my language. Yeah. It, you know, that, that, that is part of this beautiful country that we live in. Oh, I, and I think you make an excellent point. Um, but the, the way that we've developed our management systems is that the wildlife are managed in the trust of the people of the state. Right. Um, now the people of the state, I think have the ability to decide what's important to them. Um, and it's something, and it's a fact that I don't, you know, as a not, so I hunted three different state. No, I hunted two, three different states this year, Wyoming, Nevada, and Oregon. I hunted, um, two different states last year. I added Colorado, 
I hunted three different states a year prior to that, Idaho, Nebraska, and Wyoming. Um, whenever I go to these other states, man, I, I totally look at it as like a, a blessing to be able to go there and take part in some of the mm-hmm. wildlife that are there. Um, mm-hmm. And I grew up in one of these towns where uh, as you drive through it on your way to elk camp, you always stop by and pick up a pepperoni stick from Sharon uh, <laughs> at the at the local market. Um, Sharon makes all of her money off of, you know, this traffic that comes through in October because otherwise no one's driving through town. Um, and so I think, you know, the people of the state need to decide what's important to them. Is it important that you have people who come through and value the wildlife and wild places that you also value? Uh, or is it not? Is it all just for yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I think those are the conversations we should be having. So um, I want to get into a little bit more specifics. Mm-hmm. Tell me if this is, I want to know if this is, a, is if this is fallacy or this is truth. Okay. This idea of preference point creep. It is an absolute truth. Um, and that truth, just to, just to quantify it for people or just give some description for folks, is this idea of preference point creep is that uh, in units where the top point holder, if you've been applying for four years and everyone else has been applying for three, then you guarantee the tag. Um that then moves up to five the next year because there are there are fewer tags than there are applicants. The uh-huh. demand is higher than the supply, right? Uh-huh. Um, it just is happening anywhere there's a preference point system. Anywhere you have like a guarantee, a, a quote unquote guaranteed uh, top pool of people, this creep creeps up. Um, is preference point creep happening everywhere? I don't know of a place it's not happening. So, I, you know, I, I don't know every single, every single unit and every single tag and every single Western state, right? So maybe sure, someone sure, can sure. point out something. But sure, um, sure. I do know that I applied for a Colorado, uh, I applied for a Colorado license in 2020, no, 20, yeah, 2020. Um, and it had 17% draw odds with one point. I was, and I had one point going in the draw, right? I was like, oh, that's not too bad, right? Well, that year it bumped up. Um, we well, had 87 the year before, 87% with one point. The next year it was 17% with one point. And I'm like, God dang it. Like, whoa, my whoa, odds whoa, whoa. Stop, 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 stop. Yeah. The odds went from 87% drawing uh-huh. with one, one year point. with mm-hmm. one point to the next year you only had 17% chance of drawing. Yes. What's changing that number? Are they, it's In my brain, it would be number of people getting one point. Yes. And number of tags. And they're probably an inverse relationship. And the tag number you know, is relatively the same, um, okay. if not okay. the same. So that's not – in most equations, the tag number isn't changing very much. Um, especially in Colorado, they're actually increasing a lot of tags for mule deer, but that's a different that's a different rabbit hole. We won't go down. Um, so they change up some season structure stuff this year, and uh, that same tag that I applied for – uh, that had 17% two years ago, it took six points to get it this year. So Holy smokes. That's not point. That's not preference point Creek. That's exponential preference point explosion. Yes. Um, 
And so the, now I'm like, oh, I kind of basically just waved that one goodbye as it jumped out of my reach, right? Like, I'm not going to grab that unit again. Um, so that's, yeah, that's that's a good example of uh, preference point creep and what it looks like. Um, and, you know, basically the, the idea is just that if you're sitting on the sidelines um, and there's a pool of people who haven't been trying to get that license and then all of a sudden they hop in one year, you get an in, you know an influx of uh, demand for the tags that um, were already limited in, in supply. So what is what's the cause of this, man? Like what what would this idea that you know the the whole rhetoric hunter numbers are declining? Well, they're about the same. You know, hunter numbers are declining. Truthfully, per capita, well, you know. Per, based on a population growth number of the US population that's definitely declining but in terms of our numbers we're staying about the same you know 15 million 11 to 15 million i can't remember the number right now um so is it just because people are getting more educated are we getting a, a pool of individuals that have resources all of a sudden that you know 18 to 25 age group now happens to be in the 25 to 34 age group and they've got jobs and they've got money and they can apply is it all of the tag systems the application services is it all of the above man i sure think it's a lot of it's it's all of the above the the one thing that's really interesting um and i just had a friend of mine on a mealy monday tell me about this but so idaho has a system now that is fairly tough let's just say what it is fairly tough to get a general season tag because of how they changed it recently um but the in 2009 right after the great recession um they couldn't sell enough general season deer tags and they made it so that residents could pick up two <laughs> because they couldn't they, they couldn't get enough people to hunt them so I think wow. we're going through an ebb and, ebb and flow cycle um, of simultaneously uh, the information age, right, is going to make it easier to apply. But we have a lot of, there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of money in the system right now, given the kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't want to try to talk about the, the COVID impacts on all this because I think it's so complex. It, you can't say anything very valuable about it. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but just in general, like everyone's doing pretty well and people aren't stopping hunting or, or, or cutting back their applications, um, for the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got people like me who have been putting in, putting in, putting in, and then they draw and they don't go. It does happen. But then you also have, I mean, you have people who are putting in, putting in, putting in, and they get four or five tags, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh. One of the interesting things this year, ah, this is going to screw me, um, but I'll go about and say it. Uh, one of the interesting things this year, ha interesting things this year is seeing the tags that have come up on the Nevada return list. They started this new thing where if people return a tag right before season and you're just paying attention right at that moment on the computer and you see this tag pop up, you can grab it and go on that hunt. Um, really? There's been a pile it's a good, of it's a, tags. it's a good thing. It's a, it's a good thing only three people listen to this podcast, Jane. That's right. Because I'm trying to get one of those dang tags next year. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. People are turning back tags because, for whatever reason, they're not hunting on them. Um, well, it makes sense. Like, in my, yeah. in my case, I found out what the reason why I couldn't go 
mm-hmm. the season had already started, I couldn't turn my, my tag. Mm-hmm. But if I had done it prior to the season, then the tag could have been given to a combat vet, and I think I would have got my preference points back or whatnot. But yeah, lots of you know, life changes, and people something happens. Happen. You land up in hospital, family, work, whatever, and people just say, "Look, I can't mm-hmm. go," and they turn it back in and give another person another opportunity. I think another piece of this too is because there's so much conversation around such hard to draw tags. We have we're, we're like it, it's this conversation right now, right? Like. Oh man, I, I I can't draw my unit where I want in Nevada, or I can't draw my unit in Colorado that we want. Uh, it's creating a kind of um, a, a, a drive for people to get a whole pocket full of tags at one time because they're like, mm-hmm. oh well, if they're getting harder to get, I should get more of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, obviously, it'd be hard to quantify what that looks like, but I know as uh, someone who's uh, kind of I I talked to Cody Rich about this a lot. He used to hunt or have three or four elk tags in his pocket a year. And the reality of it is he's like, I can only hunt one, maybe two really well a year. Um, and so I think you end up with a lot of that too. People overbooking right. themselves. Um, yeah. 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 And creating more demand. Yeah, for sure. You, it's romantic, right? Oh. I'm going to do all this hunting. Yeah. And I'm just going to be that person. And unfortunately life kicks you in the nuts sometimes. Most times. <laughs> most times. Yeah. Um, let's let's sort of flip that a little bit. We've talked about this preference point creep, but it also seems like there's ample, ample, ample opportunity to hunt every year if you wanted to, with over-the-counter tags or other kind of general draw tags. Absolutely, it's one of those things where uh, I think the the piece that people are missing. Is any sort of preparation? <laughs> They're getting to July right before fall and going like, you know, I do want to make that Wyoming trip happen. How can I do that? And then they're frustrated when they don't have a tag, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but gosh, I know in this state alone, um, there's a there's a handful of units. Um, they call them regions uh, when you apply for these general tags as, as non-residents. There's a handful of regions that you can get with. No points, uh, especially if you, you're playing the system and maybe do a special. And Again, I don't want to get too off the deep in the weeds unless you want me to. But um, Yeah, but no, Wyoming. Let's just talk about Wyoming for a second for antelope. Yeah. I remember two years ago, three years ago, leftover tags, you could just get them. Now yeah. leftover tags are in a draw. Absolutely. You know, and I think, again, that comes that comes back to that, that whole uh, demand and people kind of uh, on top of each other going like, oh, gosh, I wish I could go more often. I wish I could go more often and end up getting these tags and not knowing what tags they're getting. Um, I got a leftover in 2019 and shot my first uh, Wyoming antelope with my bow in 2019 on one of these private land style units, right? Third, or it was a second choice and went out there and had a great time. Uh, on one of these things that's usually a throwaway tag, um, mm-hmm. especially for residents. You know, this unit in particular uh, has like sixty percent. Let me let me clarify: sixty percent non-residents hunting there because residents don't want the tag. And then I went out there and had a great time. And obviously, I'm not gonna. You know, those units aren't necessarily ones where if you're a great you know trophy hunter, you're gonna go out there and wait for the biggest antelope in the state out there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, like it, if you're out there looking for antelope meat and having a good experience, like there's a lot of kind of what I call like unwanted tags uh, as far as residents are concerned in this state. Let me, maybe this is the can of worms that, that we should open. 
you just mentioned something that is interesting that people advocate this whole resident non-resident fight debate yeah. it's all about we want more tags residents we want more tags mm-hmm. but i think you just alluded to the fact that there are plenty places i wouldn't say plenty there are places let's just use that mm-hmm. there are places in the state of wyoming again let's use wyoming as an example there are places in the state of wyoming that residents don't want to hunt yeah yeah the other thing that i think we lose when we start this conversation about these tags is the fact that that there's a resource on the other end of these tags. Uh, there's wildlife on the other end of these tags that we're not taking into consideration, right? So let's say you want to hunt the Red Desert. As folks know, the Red Desert uh, in Wyoming is where most people want to hunt antelope, um, especially for like you know that that premium experience. Um, many of these Red Desert units are under what the game and fish calls special management. That means they specifically restrict the amount of tags that are given there so that there are more bucks on the landscape, that they get older, and that it's a less crowded experience out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we really were concerned about where we were hunting, then we could, you know, with the devices we have at season setting meetings and in conversation with the game and fish, we could make a change on the local level without ever involving these state entities. Uh, to, to increase those tag numbers and increase opportunity. Um, so understanding that part is, is I think a crucial piece that like we forget about we all talk about the tags, but you could, you know, and the demand and, you know, trying to divvy that up in a different way, but we could really look at the tag situation. And, and if the reason why the tags are restricted is because there aren't enough animals on the landscape, let's look at like a sheep tag, right? Like there's just not enough sheep. To right. Go right. Um, then gosh dang it, let's put our effort towards putting more sheep on the mountain. Um, mm-hmm. Because right now, like the demand side of the thing is, is running out of control. And I'm not so sure that we're going to solve any problems by, by just looking at the demand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. The, it, it's just such a, such a contentious topic. I think I think another part of it is like like I, I kind of alluded to it earlier is is like um, there's a lot of entitlement that comes with hunting um, and and my wildlife right um, and instead we're not talking about like our wildlife and the way that we can manage all them like together and how can we address these things together it's a very us versus them conversation yeah, but, it, but that make but that 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 ties back to the whole root of the the issue. Mm-hmm. Us versus them, us being residents, them being non-residents, yeah. us valuing our wildlife more than non-residents coming in to take our wildlife. Us meaning we need more tags because they're in our backyard, them not appreciating what we have and limiting their number of, number of tags. Man, I, I will say that it's really easy. It's a really easy communication device to have an us versus them. Um, and I don't think the easy way, it, the easy way out is the right way out on that one. Um, you're not getting to like, like you said, you're not going to ever achieve the root of the issues here. If you don't, if you don't actually sit down and have these conversations. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I think like we were saying, everyone is a non-resident somewhere else. <laughs> like you can only for all intents and purposes, you can only be a resident one place. Right. 
right, so the right. lack of empathy the lack of empathy of understanding that every like you are a non-resident somewhere else um is frustrating um it's really frustrating and i hope that we can have like i said better solution-based conversations than than some of those contentious contentious conversations that we're having now so what would be a solution-based conversation in that in that regard I think what we had just mentioned about looking at the wildlife is important. That's like, I I wish we would start there, right? Especially when it comes to these, especially when it comes to these really premium hunts, like why is that premium hunt the way it is? Um, And, you know, are there ways that we can increase opportunity or diversify the opportunity and have great experiences in those places still? Uh, Wyoming, for instance, um, doesn't have limited quota, has very few limited quota muzzleloader opportunities, has very few limited quota archery opportunities for anything besides elk. Um, and if people want to diversify that opportunity, uh, you can have a lot more people on the ground and enjoying the landscapes. Um, it, it, and like I said, like not having to decide us versus them. Um, Making sure that there are more wildlife on the landscape is also really important. And I think everyone can agree on that, that that's a, that's a crucial piece of this puzzle. Mm-hmm. But how does the general show, uh, you know, take me, for example, I'm a resident of Wyoming. Uh-huh. I hear what you're saying, Jaden, uh-huh. but I can't do anything about that. Like I can't, I can't, I can't decide if there's more wildlife on the landscape. That's the game of fish's job. And I Wait. buy my tag every year, and that money goes to them. So let them do their job, and I want to hunt. One of the things that's really important, and I think you just got me all fired up with that hypothetical question, because I, I just realized that you're so right. That is the response that everyone has. Like, I just I buy my tag, and you know what? The Game of Fish is here for me. Well, you know what? The Game of Fish sets these tags. They set hunting seasons. And they set hunting quotas based on basically like three factors they hunting input uh kind of like local landowner input and scientific input it's not just based on the science um if hunters if, if hunters want to restrict the amount of people on the landscape because it's a better experience um you can literally talk to the people on the ground your local biologist and your local warden send them an email and they might just make a change you can have a good conversation with them if you get three of your hunting buddies to do it, I'm sure as heck uh, positive that they're going to listen to you. Um, and in, in a state like Wyoming, and I, I do want to clarify that I think this is a specific example, maybe to Wyoming, where we have such regionally defined areas that are managed by these regional biologists and, and wardens. Um, you can have a conversation with those people and impact what happens. If you look around the state of Wyoming, like there, it is god dang frustrating when you're trying to hunt here but if you have a general deer tag you're gonna you have different regulations for over 100 different units across the state that start from september 15th to november 30th at some point in the state and Mm -hmm. that's because each of the specific areas and specific regions have different management goals they have different hunting like hunter goals and they've got different landowner pressures um those are all really important um, so I think, you know, like you said, in your example, Joe Schmo is sitting back there and it's like, I, I just, I give him my money and I don't know what else to do. Like, I don't, these guys aren't working for me. Well, have you tried talking to them? <laughs> like literally have you, have you sent them an email lately 
and tried to start a conversation and tried to get to the root of these issues and, and, and see what's going on. Um, because most of the folks I've talked to have not. So let's, let's, I'll flip it one more time on you since this is yeah. the, what I've done all podcast long. I love it. You talk about the empathy of a resident to him or she being a non-resident everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So I'm a non-resident and I'm just, I'm going to follow your lead. Like you just said, and I'm going to write to the Wyoming game and fish. And I'm going to go, I want more opportunity. Why don't I have more opportunity right now? I have 16% chance. It's ridiculous. I should have at least 20% chance or 25% chance. Yeah. Why is Wyoming Game and Fish going to listen to me? They're not. I think that one of the things is important um, is that the Game and Fish, kind of like what we talked about at the top of the podcast, right? Game and Fish is beholden to the state, the people of the state. Um, Correct. You know, who also are involved in the people of the state under that umbrella are guides and outfitters, as well as landowners who rent and lease their land out to these guides and outfitters, right? Mm -hmm. Um. And you'll see a lot of the non-resident voice be kind of transferred into that entity um, because that entity is how that non-resident voice is carried and has economic weight. It has weight in the communities. You know, um, I have two friends of mine from high school, like best friends I grew up hunting with. They make their living as guides in Sheridan, Wyoming, right? Like these are Oregon boys coming out here, like finding jobs just in the mm -hmm. hunting industry here. It makes mm -hmm. a difference on these local communities, what these non-residents do and say and think. So as a non-resident who wants more opportunity, um, I think it's important to to have these conversations and to make your voices heard, but also make them heard maybe to the right entities. Um, like I said, through the guides and outfitters, it's great. Talk about, talk to those guys. Um, talk to your, you know, local, it, it, I don't know if you should necessarily talk to your local chamber of commerce, but you can definitely take that kind of like, approach of like man i come here i'm spending six nights at the holiday inn <laughs> buying uh you know i'm buying we were just at the rusty truck in riverton last night i'm buying six meals at the rusty truck as i go antelope hunting this week like, right. you know like this is important to me that i have this opportunity um and i think you can make it really relevant to this to the people of the state in that way um and again, like if you can have more empathy with where people are coming from and, and how these decisions are made, um, you can get a lot further. Perfect. Final message. Mm -hmm. Hunting is still, there's still a lot of opportunity. Still lots of good places to hunt. Don't get discouraged. Absolutely. Should that be the message out of this podcast? <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Oh, man. I, I think... Step one, right? Step one. If you're if you're frustrated, do a little research. Start there and find out why you're frustrated. Um, if you're frustrated because you can't go to uh, Idaho or you couldn't pick up your Idaho deer license this year, you should probably look into why that is and maybe get on the get on the computer of December first this year because <laughs> that's when they go on sale. Uh, or find these licenses that are easier to draw, right? If you know, if you're, it goes back to that whole, like, if you're really frustrated because you don't have enough opportunity in the place you want to go, reevaluate, like, 
why you're doing it, right? Why are you hunting? Are you going just because you hear that this area has like 180 inch mule deer bucks running around every every bush or if you're chasing this elk in this place because they're you know some mystic there's some mystical giants out there um you know maybe reevaluate and and try to find some other spots um if you're wanting to just go hunt just to go hunt man i got nothing to i got nothing to say to you you should be hunting every year 100 <laughs> percent. Mm-hmm. Jaden bales thank you my man short sharp hard hitting as we like to do it absolutely and keep up the great work on on both your video content and this podcast stuff man i think you're really changing you really change minds and impacting people uh impact people's lives so i appreciate the work you guys are doing seriously thank you boss man yeah well that's it for today i appreciate you listening as always leave a review share it with your friends and most importantly do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.